0: at gracekettering.org thanks again for joining us and enjoy the episode we're going to get into the word here you may be seated and brother jonathan's going to be coming and preaching the word to us this evening as i said this morning we're going to deal with this matter of established and uh summer sunday evenings and i wanted to remind you what the bible tells us in acts 2 and verse number 42 Uh, It tells us, and they, these new believers, that early church, they uh, uh, continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine in fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. So in fellowship, they're communing with each other, they're participating in life together, they're sharing in life together but also the breaking of bread that is the, the Lord's table and remembering his death until he comes and in prayers. But he says they continued steadfastly in doctrine. Over in Ephesians chapter number four, it also reminds us that, that God's intent of the church and the gathering and the assembly is that we be to- no more tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, um, but that we would, we would be established and that we would be strengthened uh, specifically, by the word as it's preached, the truth in love, and so our heart for this on um, the summer in the evenings is yes to give an opportunity to some other guys in our church to communicate the word, but also to be established in in particular doctrines. So. This matter, of the resurrection, is a very important one that we'll be starting with tonight, and we're going to be uh, learning about that so that you can turn around and that you can share that with others. We'll be learning about doctrine of the word of God and the doctrine of the Trinity, uh, doctrine of the deity of Jesus Christ, a foundational pivotal, uh, you know, a line in the sand doctrine, a very important one we are learning about eternal security and some of these other ones. And so you will be getting some verses of scripture to write down and have so that you can um, share it with other people. So Brother Jonathan is going to come and preach to us as he comes. I want us to remember no matter who is preaching the word, it's the word. Amen. It's the word. Amen? Amen. All right. And so we want to give it a priority and a, a respect in our lives. And the other thing about, as uh, you know, these guys are here interning. So the word intern sounds like it's just a trainee, you know, and, and so we're just kind of going through motions. But I told these guys earlier this week, when you come to this pulpit, you are, you are called men of God, that God has in this hour for us to hear the word of God through them. So we're not here to critique the word, we're here to receive the word, right? Amen? And so I, that's how I'm going I'm to write down and receive the word. And as, as the Lord allows me to encourage them and, and help them along, I'll do that. But for right now, we want to open up our hearts to the word. And so let's do that. Jonathan's coming to preach to us tonight.
1: 1 Corinthians chapter number 15. 1 Corinthians chapter number 15. I am excited about this opportunity. Thank you, Pastor, for giving me... Uh, your pulpit. (laughs) And church, thank you so much for uh, your active participation, willing support of uh, both Sam and myself. And uh, we've received nothing but uh, love and support from you all. And we are so excited to be here and thankful for this series uh, that we are going through uh, each Sunday evening and looking forward to what God will teach each one of us Uh, in these days ahead. So let's begin with a word of prayer. Lord Jesus, we come before you here tonight. We thank you so much that we get the privilege of opening your word. Lord, I think of uh, places even across the world right now that do not have your word. I pray that you would use your word in our hearts tonight. Lord, I surrender myself to you. Allow you to speak through me the words that you would have me say to point people to the truth of your word. Pray that you would give us wisdom in applying it and obeying it this week, Lord. Give you all the praise and glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We'll go ahead and we'll read the first 12 verses. So reading with me. Verse 1 states, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, which I preached unto you, which also you have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures, and that he was seen of Cephas, then of the 12, and after that he was seen of above 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. After that he was seen of James, then of all the apostles, And last of all, he was seen of me also, as of one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles, that am not meet to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Therefore, whether it were I or they, so we preach, and so ye believed. Now if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, How say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? The doctrine of the resurrection, incredibly important. In the scripture, you'll find it stated 41 different times, 41 different references to the resurrection, and I trust that we'll see how important, uh, just how important this doctrine is as we unfold 1 Corinthians 15. Now, in order to build some context, we're going to go ahead and begin at Genesis 1.1 and we'll exegete each verse, no I'm just kidding, (laughs) Uh, we'd be here for a while. Now by the time we're done with exegeting, 1 Corinthians 15, you might feel like we started at Genesis 1.1, but uh, don't worry, we won't be here all night, I don't want to be here all night. (laughs) Uh, There is so much though that is packed in this passage, 1 Corinthians 15, so we're going to get, we're going to get into it here in a minute. I want to bring to our attention, though, uh, from the story "Killing Christians" from the book "Killing Christians," the testimony of Azam Mubarak. He was a Somalian pirate. He grew up with his dad. He was trained by his dad to be a pirate, to um, steal, rob for a living, and uh, murder people if that's what needed to be done. Also, they would be hired by um, different criminals to do the dirty work for them, and. Uh, and even hired by upper uh, upper uh, levels of community leaders who didn't want the blood stains on their hands directly. Uh, so he was in that life's work, but uh, God did an absolute amazing miracle in his life and saved his soul uh, by uh, bringing visions of Jesus to him, and that he couldn't he couldn't uh, stop thinking about. He had to face those facts. Here's his testimony, though. That he. That he states, an absolutely amazing change from being a Somalian pirate to what I'm about to read as his testimony of bringing the gospel to those who have never heard. Compared to the stench I'd been breathing for the past several hours, the outside air felt like a fresh mountain breeze. But if a few hours of fresh air was all I had to sacrifice in order to help my fellow believers, then it was more than worth it. What a crazy world that I was safest traveling in a coffin under a corpse. It was a great way to put Muslim drivers to work for the gospel. No follower of Allah would dare open a casket, let alone look beneath the remains. Under dead people, Bibles could get to believers in Somalia, and endangered believers, as if we weren't all endangered, could get out to Kenya. Not once had anyone been caught. But more than a few times when the coffin reached its destination, there had been two corpses inside. I determined not to be one on this trip nor on my return to Somalia in a week or so with more Bibles. Nothing was better than using my pirating skills to serve Jesus. I have a question for us tonight. What uh, would, would this man be exposing himself to sickness, filth, disgust, disease, and likely death if he only had hope in Christ in this life only? Let's think about the gospel for a minute. What if I presented to you the gospel here tonight, laid out very clearly, in fact, the most clearly in all of Scripture here in 1 Corinthians 15. What if we presented it like this? For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, I'm reading in verse 3 if you want to follow along, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried. Amen. 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 Well, if that were the case, let me ask another question. Would the gospel be worth believing if we only had hope in Christ in this life? I ask further, would it even be the gospel? It might be news, but would it be good news? If the gospel did not include the resurrection, it would be no better than Buddhism. There's a tomb for Buddha. It would be no better than Islam. There's a tomb for Mohammed. It would be no better than Catholicism. They keep Jesus on the cross. Scholars say, one scholar says, if Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that he said. If he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about any of what he said? The issue on which everything hang, hangs is not is whether or not you like his is not whether or not you like his teaching, but whether or not he rose from the dead. Another scholar said this. Genesis ends with Joseph's death. Deuteronomy ends with Moses' death. Joshua ends with Joshua's death. The Gospels end with Jesus' resurrection. And that changes everything. Yet another scholar said, The resurrection of Jesus means the worst thing is never the last thing. I'll read that one again. The resurrection of Jesus means the worst thing is never the last thing. Tonight I want us to understand this one thought. We'll flesh it out throughout the passage. The gospel without the resurrection is worthless. Here in 1 Corinthians, Paul is addressing a number of issues. Before we even come to 1 Corinthians 15, he is hitting on at least 10 major issues that that were addressing where the Corinthian Christians were living, and he takes them head-on. He doesn't uh, use indirect or flowery language. He he hits all the issues head-on. Why? Because they had noticeably swerved from following the doctrines that Paul had taught them, and we were they were reverting back to the cultural norm. Interesting, that sounds much like today's church too, and is even the reason why we're addressing these issues, that we would be established in the faith. Paul is attempting to attack and straighten out these issues directly without losing altogether his deteriorating relationship with the Corinthians. They were seeking their own wisdom as the height of divine experience, and they were minimizing both Paul And the wisdom of the gospel. Now we come to 1 Corinthians 15. And the culture here of the Corinthians, the culture of the city, it was very immoral. There was even a Greek verb coined by a Greek philosopher, Aristophanes, Corinthiazo. It meant to act like a Corinthian, or in other words, to commit fornication. That was just the lifestyle there in Corinth. The religious climate, it was incredibly diverse, there were many gods. And you could say it was very much like a Los Angeles or a Las Vegas of the ancient world. Just full of debauchery, full of diversity. And interestingly, the church, the Corinthian church, largely reflected the cultural and religious climate of the city. I would say sadly they did. It was a conglomerate of Jews, Greeks, free uh, slaves, and wealthy and poor. It was so diverse there was little Judaism, some Hellenistic Judaism, meaning Greek-like, uh, Greek-influenced Judaism, and, but there was largely Gentiles in the church. One scholar put it this way, in summary, although they were the Christian church in Corinth, an inordinate amount of Corinth was yet in them, emerging in a number of attitudes, behaviors that, uh, that required radical surgery without killing the patient. And that's what Paul was attempting to do. He was trying to reach into the Corinthian church and say, this issue, this issue, this issue, this issue needs to be addressed without alienating them altogether. And they were pretty close to being on the brink of that. So we come to 1 Corinthians 15, and Paul seems to present five themes in his discussion of the resurrection. It's like he's addressing all these issues within 1 Corinthians, and then comes to 1 Corinthians 15 as kind of the climax of, Okay, so what's the point of addressing all those issues? And he says, here's the point. So first of all, he, there's a reminder of Paul's, I should say, first of all, we have the essence of the gospel included in this first portion of 1 Corinthians 15. First we see a reminder of Paul's gospel. He reminds them that he came, he preached it, which I preached unto you in verse 1, which also you have received and wherein you stand And and then he said, By which ye are also saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you. So he said, look, look, Corinthians. Hey, I preached to you. Remember that? Remember that? I preached to you the gospel, and you believed it. You need to remember that you believed it. But then he said, there's a a warning of of worthless belief. There's something that very possibly might be making your faith worthless. You see at the end of verse 2, he says, Unless ye have believed in vain. So then he says, Okay, let's review, let's review. Here is the non-negotiable core of the gospel. He comes right here. First, Christ died for our sins. You see that in verse number three. And then he says this is in accordance with the prophecy of scripture. Second, he said Christ was buried. Third, Christ rose again the third day, which was also in accordance with the prophecy of scripture. You can see Paul is constantly backing up the facts of the gospel. He's saying, here's the truth, here's the proof. Christ was seen then, number four, Christ was seen after rising from the dead. These are our four core points of the gospel. One, Christ died for our sins. Two, Christ was buried. Three, Christ, let's check. (laughs) Christ rose again the third day. And four, Christ was seen after rising from the dead. These are absolute non-negotiable core truths of the gospel. So then he goes on to prove the resurrection. Christ was seen. This is uh, this is one that we often overlook. We'll tell people Christ died for your sins. Christ died for your sins, and we sometimes mention that he was that he rose again the third day, but we miss that that he was seen because this proves that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. The gospel is validated by the eyewitnessed resurrection of Jesus Christ. First, you see it, it's by Cephas. We see this also in Luke twenty four, thirty four, uh, saying, The Lord is ri- risen indeed and hath appeared to Simon, also known as Cephas there. Um, we see that his disciples saw him. Luke twenty four, thirteen through fifteen. Uh, gives an account of this, behold, two of them went that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem, about threescore furlongs. And they talked together of all the things which had happened. And it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. And then later in verse 35, and they told what things were done in the way and how he was known of them in breaking of bread so some of his disciples there others of his disciples Matthew twenty-eight seventeen. and when they speaking of the 12 saw him they worshiped him how about Mary Magdalene in John 20 verse 18 Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things unto her in uh, the passage right here mentions in verse 7 that he was seen of James Then he was seen of all the apostles, we see this in Acts 1, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them 40 days, speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Lastly, he's seen by Paul. Paul mentions this here in verses 8 through 10. And then we we see his direct account in Acts 9, verses 3 through 5. It says as as he journeyed, he came near Damascus and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven and he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. uh, Paul saw him directly. So not only do we see that Christ was seen in this passage, then we see Christ had Christ had physical scars. He wasn't just a spirit, but a resurrected physical body. Now, I, sh- I should mention, we don't see that directly in this passage, but we know that to be a fact proven by uh, one such passage as Luke 24, 37 to 40. I'll read it. But they were terrified and, t- terif- terrified and affrighted, and supposed that they had seen a spirit. And he said unto them, Why are you troubled, and why do thoughts arise in your hearts? Behold, my hands and my feet. That it is I myself. Handle me. He said, Touch me and see. For a spirit has not flesh and bones, as ye see me have. And when he had thus spoken, he showed them his hands and his feet. Yet another proof, Christ had physical scars. Here's another proof. Christ ate physical food in his resurrected body. Luke twenty-four. Again helps us understand that. He comes to these troubled disciples and he says, Have ye here any meat? And he gave and they gave him a piece of a broiled fish and of a honeycomb, and he took it and did eat before them. These are powerful, powerful proofs of a bodily, physical resurrection of Jesus Christ. So we see the essence of the gospel, and we see the proof of the resurrection. By the fact that Christ was seen, Christ had physical scars, Christ could physically eat. Now, that's, that's nice to know these facts here, but we, we, we have an issue here. We, we need to see the necessity of the resurrection. The resurrection from the dead matters because the entirety of the Christian faith is worthless if Christ is not risen from the dead. That is why the Jewish rulers at the time of Christ's resurrection, it was, the proof of the resurrection was important to them because if Christ's resurrection were true, it was a threat to their livelihood. Let's think of the chief priests and the scribes, the Sadducees, the Sanhedrin at this time. We're gonna look at uh, kind of two examples of differing views of the resurrection, just the belief of the resurrection of the dead in general. But I want you to see these two views because they stand in stark contrast to each other, yet when it came down to it, when it came down to Christ's resurrection, they were in agreement and we'll see why. So the Pharisees had a problem with Christ's resurrection. Now, just to give some background, these, these, uh, these folks, as part of the Jewish uh, religious system, they were, they were friends to the common man. Now the common man didn't like, really, really like them, but the Pharisees at least could relate with the common man. They didn't really like their spot on the religious totem pole. So they believed in the resurrection out of selfish motives because they wanted to see some sort of social upheaval and hopefully land in, in a better spot on the religious totem pole come the afterlife. Now we're not talking about the fact that they believed in the resurrection of Jesus here. We're talking about the fact they just believed in the resurrection of the dead. So they were all about it because they hoped that in that next life they would somehow be better, higher up, have more authority, more power. So we see their, their uh, motivations. So it thre- the, the problem with Jesus' resurrection was it threatened their position of being on the religious totem pole. They were looking for a social and political people that would reorder them in higher in the order of social, political, and religious influence and power. They believed in the resurrection of the dead in order for this to accomplish their purpose. But Jesus' resurrection would not only prevent them from gaining influence, it would deprive them of their position altogether. Now we look on the other side of the spectrum and we come to understand about the Sadducees. They were also another group within the Jewish religious system. They liked where they sat on the social, political, and religious hierarchy. They were short-sighted enough to believe that their situation could not really improve. They were the religious elite and were above the Pharisees in political influence. They liked it that way. Therefore, a resurrection of the dead was at best inconvenient for them, so they they chose not to believe it. Even more so, Jesus' resurrection would not only risk them losing the position they held, it would also deprive them of it altogether. So on two sides of the spectrum, you have... Differing beliefs on the resurrection of the dead, yet unified force when it came to Jesus' resurrection. Since Jesus' resurrection actually happened and many of the Jewish religious leaders knew it to be true, they were all in agreement about one thing. Jesus' resurrection risked their power and their livelihood and must be suppressed at all costs. So we read about it. They came to the soldiers, the guards who were at the tomb. In Matthew 28, 11 through 15, says this, Now when they were going, behold, some of the watch came into the city and showed unto the chief priests all the things that were done. And when they were assembled with the elders and had taken counsel, they gave large money unto the soldiers, saying, Say ye, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we slept. And if this has come to the governor's ears, meaning the fact that they allowed a resurrection to happen, it says, We will persuade him and secure you. They'll protect them.'" So they took the money and did as they were taught. And this saying is commonly reported among the Jews unto this day. That means at the time of the writing of Matthew. So the religious elite, the religious political leaders were semi-successful in suppressing this message. Thus they didn't lose their position. We then come to the Corinthians. They also are mentioned here, verse number 12, Now, if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? They were actually one of the few groups of people at this time that didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. Now, there was varying takes on what that all looked like, but they were one of the few that didn't believe in it altogether. So we see a plight of no resurrection here in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 13 through 19. There's a disastrous chain reaction I want you to notice here. If there's no resurrection, then Christ is not risen from the dead. This is a severe claim, considering the proof already given of Christ's resurrection. Remember, what Paul has just described at the beginning of the chapter is just review. It's a summary of the proof of Christ's resurrection that he previously taught them. Secondly, if there's no resurrection, then Paul's preaching was in vain. It was worthless. If there's no resurrection, then the Corinthians' faith was worthless they would still have been sinners. If there's no resurrection, then Paul and his gospel team were liars against God by testifying of Christ's resurrection that would not have actually happened. If no resurrection, those who believed in Christ who have already died have no hope of eternal life either. Quite a plight if there is no resurrection. We also see it results in a miserable quality of life. I want you to think about this now. If hope in Christ exists only for this life, what a miserable life. Think of this from the Corinthians' perspective. Remember, we described their whole cultural surroundings at that time, a very licentious, promiscuous, uh, free-loving society. Think about it from their perspective. Paul was commanding the Corinthians to listen to his gospel, which he previously preached to them. They needed to rid themselves of the secular pagan wisdom common in their culture. Then they needed to have a right view of the church and right responses within the church. They needed to refrain from immorality and deal with those who were being immoral in the church. They needed to take care of legal matters within the church. They needed to stay with the same marriage partner for a lifetime, no divorce. They needed to exercise discernment in food offered to idols. They needed to worship the one true creator God alone. They needed to take the Lord's Supper without a sense of hierarchy. They needed to exercise spiritual gifts properly within the church. They needed to unconditionally, sacrificially love one another. They needed to maintain proper order in the church. All while being persecuted for living godly in Christ Jesus. What a depressing life if it was all worthless in the end. Once again, the gospel without the resurrection is worthless. But we don't stay there. Verse 20. There's the fact of Christ's resurrection. There's glorious news here. There's a transition. It says, but now we see a, tr- a transition making it obvious that Christ is indeed risen from the, de- from the dead. And to that we all say, amen. amen, amen. Christ has become the hope for all believers who die physically, for he proved that death can be conquered and all those who are in Christ will be made alive. They will be resurrected. This is found in verse 21 and 22. Then we see Paul's personal reasoning. So he expands there for a few, few, uh, few more verses. Uh, they're found in verses 23, 24. Uh, there's an interesting thought there that, uh, that we find in verse 23. I should say uh, that, we, that we find in verse 20. Yes, but now is Christ risen from the dead and become the firstfruits of them that slept. So Christ's resurrection is, it's like earnest money. It's like the down payment for us for our coming resurrection because we are in Christ and those who are in Christ will be made alive because Christ is alive. Why? Because he rose from the dead. So Paul has his personal reasoning here. Verses 29 through 34. Uh, So we come, we see some some interesting things that Paul says here. Uh, You see in verse 30, why do I risk my life every day to give the gospel if I won't be raised again? He says, why stand we in jeopardy every hour? Here's another interesting concept he mentions. He said, uh, basically says, I should just embrace the philosophy of the day, YOLO. You ever heard of YOLO, you only live once? That's right here, found in verse 32. It says, if after the manner of men I have fought with beasts at Ephesus, what advantageth it me if the dead rise not? Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Basically, you only live once, doesn't matter what you do. I can eat this pack of Doritos, good. It's gonna kill me, I'm gonna die anyways. Right? So we find this even popular today, this uh, common thought. But here's Paul's uh, conclusion. Since the resurrection does exist, then stop sinning, start living righteously, and start living and giving the gospel. You find that here in verse 34. Awake to righteousness and sin not, for some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. What was he calling them to live to? All the previous 14 chapters that we briefly have mentioned, all those things I read out that he was calling them to do, he was asking them, hey, he was commanding them, awake to righteousness, stop sinning, start living out the gospel. Some haven't heard of the gospel. Some, as in many, haven't heard the gospel. Then we come, thirdly, to the logic of the resurrection. Verses 35 through 49. We won't spend a whole lot of time here. There's a lot going on. Um, but there are some key concepts I think we can take away that are, that are helpful in our uh, flow here, uh, our, our understanding of 1 Corinthians 15. So here's the big idea of this portion. It is possible for the dead to be raised up because that which is activated or quickened or lifed, you could say, must first be dead. So we see this basic uh, illustration found in, uh, even, even today, in common life. So there's the illustration of, of seeds. You find uh, this in verse 38, uh, verse 37. And that which thou sowest, thou sowest not that body that shall be, but bear grain. It may chance of wheat or of some other grain. So what is he saying? Well, first off, there was a question uh, that some, some, some were asking in verse 35. How are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? Do they come back, back to life? They, they kind of want to know, like, well, what are the particulars here? So, fa- so Paul is like, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll give you the logic of what's going on here. So take a seed, for example. When you put it in the ground, you don't expect a crop to be planted and come up looking like the seed that you first placed in the ground. That would be a little strange. If you put, uh, if you put let's say, a uh, little grain of, of wheat. You, know, you planted some wheat into the ground, and then up came just like... Little seed on the ground. It'd be a little weird. It takes on a new form, right? It comes up in a stalk. It has the, uh, the chaff, the, the actual grains of wheat there. Uh, you think of corn. Same illustration. You put that little, that little seed um, in the ground, comes up. Now you have a stalk of corn, right? Takes on a, a totally new body. So the conclusion of this logic is found in uh, verse 42. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. And the verses before that, Paul gives different illustrations showing that not all flesh is the same flesh. There's different types of flesh. Uh, There's different types of of bodies even. There's celestial bodies, there's terrestrial, so heavenly bodies or earthly bodies. Uh, There's different types of glory found in the sun, the moon, the stars. So he's just giving illustration after illustration that hey, look something that gets uh, that, that is dead to begin something that uh, starts out a certain way and is brought to life in a, is, is brought to life is brought to life in a different sort of way so he, he rationalizes with that um, even with that question so the end of the the conclusion then is it's sown in in corruption or per, it's perishable it is raised in incorruption this is true of our bodies in the resurrection He continues on with that that line of thinking through verse 49. He brings up Adam, the fact that the first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The last, Adam, was made a quickening spirit. Uh, That was Jesus Christ. So he gives that, that difference between physical and spiritual. That body that's going to be raised in Christ will be spiritually everlasting. It will be quickened, yet it will still be a physical body. We then transition in verse uh, 50, Find the fourth and final point, the assurance of the resurrection. Verse 50 says, Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Neither does corruption inherit incorruption. We could rephrase that. Neither does perishable inherit non-perishable or imperishable. So the physical body does not automatically inherit eternal life because perishable can't inherit imperishable. So we saw that there was an illustration of something that was put into the ground that was raised up after it died, like a corn of wheat or a, a piece of corn, uh, was raised up into new life with a different body. But he's saying there's a special element to the, to the spiritual nature of the physical resurrection for believers. So, it's a little bit different than this. There's, the, there's this element that we, we're not quite sure how this can work because look, flesh and blood can't inherit the kingdom of God. How's this supposed to work? And that's why he says in verse 51, behold, I show you a mystery. So perishable can't inherit imperishable. I'm thinking of a, a shopping at the store with my mom. I used to go with her on uh, Saturdays. Could have been anywhere from 9 in the morning to 2 in the morning on Sunday morning. Uh, we enjoyed our time at the store together. Uh, and I, I learned to, uh, you know, get my way around the store. I kind of knew Aldi, kind of knew Aldi pretty well. It always confuses me when they switch up that, you know, when, when you're walking in here and normally you walk in here and then the whole store is all like, so the carrots were here, the... Um, Chips? I'm not sure where the milk is. Uh, same thing with those Walmarts too, except it's 10 times worse because those are 10 times bigger, right? Uh, so we spent a lot of time together there. Um, but uh, I noticed a lot of times there were some perishable items on the shelves, right? Uh, so fresh produce would be an example of perishable items. And they, perishable items are typically the, those things that have a short shelf life, right? Often you can observe that those Items have a visibly short shelf life, like the rotting bananas or the frosty white strawberries. These items are unlike those always pristine, uh, you know, chocolate-covered almonds, or the nearly indestructible and thus head-scratchingly edible Oreos. So I wonder if perishable is a synonym for edible. You know, maybe non-perishable should be like non-edible. I don't know. I'm still figuring that out. But yet, we have that illustration that we see in the store frequently of what's perishable, what's non-perishable. We have this revealed mystery, though. We're coming to uh, verse 51. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Because Christ was raised from the dead, he won the victory over death. Because we are in Christ, he will give us his victory over death when we rise from the dead. Based upon this thrilling truth, we can continue steadfast, unshaken, and constantly thriving in the Lord's work. For we know it will not be worthless effort because of the Lord's work through his resurrection. That's really a summary of the rest of the passage flushed out. I want to just make a a few points here. We find uh, here in verse 54, So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is an absolutely game-changing and powerful truth for us. You say, how? How so? Look back at the end of verse 54. It says, death is swallowed up in victory. This was prophesied in Isaiah 25, verse number 8. Death is swallowed up in victory. De- you could say this, death is swallowed up in Christ's resurrection. That is the victory. That's why death has no sting. That's why grave ha- the grave has no hold. It has no victory because of the resurrection. That's why Paul could say, thanks be to God, which gives us, the, the victory, the resurrection through our Lord Jesus Christ. And the conclusion of the matter, we find in verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. We're coming to a, a close here soon. But I want to point out one thing that couches this entire chapter and you've heard this word throughout the entire, the entire time here. The word vain. I've used the word worthless to, to use as a synonym with vain. But if you will notice, way back at the start of the chapter, Paul starts out by saying in verse 2, By which also you are saved. He's talking about the gospel, remember. If you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. Believed what in vain? Believed the gospel. Why was it in vain? We've walked all through that this entire time, started, starting there in verse number 12. How say some among you that there's no resurrection of the dead? Because if there isn't, then everything that the Christian, the Christian um, relationship with Christ, is formulated on, the Christian doctrines, everything it's formulated on, is worthless. It's vain. The labor is vain. The preaching is vain. The faith of the believers is vain. Everything is vain if the resurrection of the dead is not in existence. So Paul begins this passage speaking of vain or worthless belief in the gospel. But because of the resurrection of the dead, which proves Christ's resurrection, the believer's work in the Lord is not in vain. This gives us direct application for today. I want us to think about how we're living our life even even in these days. Paul directly challenges these believers in verse 34. Awake to righteousness. Start living in righteousness. Stop sinning. Why? Some have not the knowledge of God. Our sin, our our holding back, our doubts, our fears from obeying Jesus Christ in in this day, in this time, in this week, It's going to hold back folks from hearing the knowledge of God. And what's our motivation, friends? What's our motivation? The resurrection of Jesus Christ, which is our resurrection one day. That is the hope we have. And it's a glorious hope, and it's a hope worth sharing. That's why Paul finishes up saying, Therefore, my brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding, thriving in the work of the Lord. For as much as you know that your labor what labor? All that obedience to the first 14 chapters of 1st Corinthians, it's not vain in the Lord. Both living out the gospel and giving the gospel, it's not vain in the Lord. That story of Azam Mubarak still continues. As of right now, he is still making those trips to bring Bibles from Kenya to Somalia while traveling in caskets full of dead people. I can guarantee you he's excited about the Resurrection. So is his mother, who was brutally murdered because of her faith in Christ several years ago. Because of the Resurrection of Christ and our coming Resurrection as believers in Christ, we will meet these two believers who have suffered greatly for the cause of Christ. Friends, tonight we have seen that the Gospel without the Resurrection is worthless. But I emphatically declare tonight that because of the resurrection the gospel is far from worthless could i ask every head to be bowed and eyes to be closed several questions for us to ask tonight ask ourselves tonight first question i want you to think about tonight we 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 began by discussing the core elements of the gospel i want you to ask yourself are you believing Are you believing that Christ died for your sins, that he was buried, that he rose again the third day, and that he was seen? Have you trusted in Jesus Christ alone for forgiveness of sins and eternal life? Would there be any here tonight that would say, you know, that's me. I've never trusted in Jesus Christ. I've never believed in the gospel as described here tonight, and I'm concerned about that. And uh, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know if, if, that, if that could be true of me. If that question would be true of you, would you raise your hand? You say, I, I, I'm not sure if I'm believing on Jesus Christ for forgiveness of sins, eternal life. Would there be any that would say that? Secondly, I want us who do believe in Jesus Christ, I want, I want us to ask ourselves this question. Are you remaining steadfast, unshaken in your faith, thriving in the work of the Lord? Could you describe your last week as passionately pursuing Christ, passionately obeying his commands, and passionately sharing him? I want to encourage you tonight. It will not be in vain. It will not be worthless. Final question tonight. Are you spreading the gospel, telling the lost about Christ's death, burial, and resurrection? It will not be vain. It will not be worthless. Let's close in prayer. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for the powerful truth of the resurrection. Thank you so much that one day, uh, if you, tarry and we pass away, we will be raised again in you. Thank you so much for this truth that gives us so much hope and gives us the strength to go forward this week, living out the gospel and giving the gospel to as many as you bring across our path. Lord, help us to live out this truth this week, Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening to this podcast. To learn more about Grace Baptist or how to have eternal life, visit gracekettering.org. And remember, you are always welcome at Grace Baptist Church.